It's time for episode 73 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February 4th, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that always makes it in time. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host across the country, Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dan. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I am buried under 6,000 feet of snow. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. I am sorry to be here. We've got a West Coast-centric set of uh, guests this time. You've probably never even heard of snow. It's like a weird myth. Not aware of it. (laughs) To to my left is uh, the person who is running a fine publication called Macworld these days. It's Susie Oaks. Hello. Hi, guys. How's it going? Pretty good. We miss you. Oh, thanks. I miss you, too. (laughs) So welcome back to Clockwise. Thank you. It's good to be back. And to my left is the proprietor of very nice website and the star of the Rebound podcast, <laughs> John Moltz. <laughs> You're never going to let that go. <laughs> nope, never. <laughs> well, I, technically, he's the star of the Rebound podcast, uh, starring John Moltz, featuring Lex Friedman, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. And some other guy that we no, really I thought Lex about. was the other guy. Yeah, Lex is the other guy. Well, yeah. all right. So we have two lovely guests and four topics. I am this week's co-host, so I'm going to go first. I saw a uh, post by Amazon the other day for their new Kindle Convert project, which lets you rip your actual paper books into ebooks. Don't rip the books. Is- that breaks them. <laughs> As the son of two librarians, I cannot condone any damage to books. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's a little catch. You have to scan your entire book in. <laughs> which seems like it might take a really long time and produce kind of middling results. And the software itself costs some money up front. So I I got to thinking, you know, it's 2015. Uh, books have been around for, you know, a few years now. Uh, and why isn't there a better solution to bringing our paper books into ebook format? We've seen, you know, Amazon do stuff with like buying CDs. You get like digital copies of tracks a lot of times. Uh, even movies are moving in that direction, but no books. Do you guys want this, need this? What do you think is holding it back? John, talk to me. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be sitting there flipping pages to convert my books into e-format. If it's not available uh, in a digital format that I can just buy, my time is precious, Dan, is what I'm saying. So I, uh, I don't see myself um, going through this uh, lengthy process in order to get my books into that format unless I could buy it that way. And if, it, if I can't, then that's, that's okay. I can, I can still own a few books. I don't think that's going to be that much of a problem. <laughs> not not yet anyway maybe that maybe that will develop in humans in the future as uh, digital really takes hold <laughs> uh, i mean it looks like this Kindle convert thing is for it's probably for libraries or other organizations that have out of print books that they want to have in an e format i actually um there was a book that i wanted to read like when i was in grad school that was out of print and um I, I thought about, since it was out of print and a bunch of my friends had also recommended it to me, I thought about scanning it and OCRing it. And I got about four pages in. And I was like, forget, <laughs> forget this. And like eight years later, it came, it was reprinted and I bought it. And I was not, I was okay with the fact that I, I wasn't able to read it for eight years, uh, other than like for the week that I had it from the library. <laughs> and uh, that's okay. I, I you know, I'm frustrated by the fact that there isn't a way to uh, more easily convert some of my uh, paper library to uh, to ebook. But at the same time, my my approach to paperbacks, especially uh, basically any book that is, doesn't have sentimental value or was like signed 
by an author. Um, I'm largely uh, donating those, you know, to library sales and things like that and figuring if I ever want to read this book again, because uh, I don't reread a lot of books, but if I ever do want to reread this again, I will pay the $5 or whatever on Amazon and buy the ebook then. So, you know, yeah, it's 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 sad that I can't like point my camera at my bookshelf and have those auto magically added to my Kindle library, but it, you know, it's okay cuz most of them I'm probably not going to read again anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. I wish that Amazon did that thing where, you know, you suddenly own digital copies of all the CDs you bought from them. They should totally do that with books because the cool thing about ebooks is their convenience and there's nothing less convenient than, you know, scanning a paper book page by page. <laughs> um, Very so, few things. You know, just, Very, yeah. I, I would rather just carry that book. I don't, you know, even if it's Infinite Jest or something, I would I would rather just carry that book. Um, you know, it's a little more exercise that'd be good for you. So if you really, um, yeah, I mean, I was on the academic team in high school and I remember just years of my life standing in front of the copier, copying stuff that everyone had to read. Mm-hmm. And yep. this would be even worse because it's a scanner. So yeah, um, it's weird that, there's, but I don't know the the world of digital books and ebooks. I mean, ebooks and paper books seem way more separated than the world of uh, you know like music and movies, where it's the same content. You just want to read it on different places. But I don't know. There's something about paper books where. They're just, they're never going to be digital books. So it would be nice if you could buy one and get it both places like they do with music and movies. Amazon should get on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of that as well because I buy paper books on occasion. And it'd be great to feel like, oh, I can just, you know, when I'm away from home and don't want to carry this book, I can read it on my ebook device. But when I'm at home and if I want to pick up my paper book, I can do that. Um, I think the weird thing to Jason's point about this being for libraries, the weird thing about this product is it's only for personal use. So I guess if you want to archive your own books, uh, Go nuts! But my also my favorite thing um, is that once you've once you've gone through scanning all of it, you put in the title and author of the book as you put in the metadata, and it goes, "Hey, there's a Kindle version of this. Do you want to buy it?" I'm like, "What did I spend the last two hours scanning my book for?" <laughs> so thanks, Cam- <laughs> thanks Amazon. You guys are awesome. <laughs> John, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, well, I bring you ill tidings uh, for anyone who was alive during either the early part or the middle part of the, the previous century, and that is because uh, Radio Shack is going out of business. Final, finally, not the Shack, <laughs> the Shack, yeah. And it doesn't even seem like they ever really got around to that rebranding that they had promised. Uh, so, kind of a shame. We missed. I think we feel like we really missed out on something there. But uh, so now the question is: Before as they go approach going to bankruptcy, uh, who's going to buy up the little pieces of, <laughs> of what's left? And originally, the rumor was from Bloomberg that Sprint was interested in buying those stores and just converting them into Sprint stores, or about half of them. And then Amazon or Amazon, no, hang on, we'll get there. Radio Shack would close the other half. Now it looks like Amazon may sweep in and pick up some of the stores as well. And they also reported that another party that's interested are the investors behind Brookstone. So it almost seems as if the thing that was Radio Shack is being divided up into its three logical pieces, which is just like a cell phone store, a store to buy uh, crappy little toys, and a, uh, a place to buy cables and stuff like that. So if Amazon comes in, they would probably use it to showcase their highly popular products, such as uh, the um, the diapers that don't work, <laughs> amongst other things, like the 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 phone that doesn't work that great either. So 
wondering uh, who you guys who you guys think is uh, is a good suitor for these wonderful stores that are going to be unfortunately shuttered. Well, I, I think you've given some really good uh, suggestions uh, about the idea of having these three different uses, the the crappy toys and the cell phones <laughs> and the like cables and things like the Amazon Basics cables or something. But perhaps they should put them all together and uh, give it like an overarching title like Radio Shack. Oh, wait. <laughs> that's, so that's more of a pundit showdown answer. But um, I, I don't know. I've been to Radio Shack three times in the last like eight years and it was always to buy that same clip-on microphone that they sell for like 20 bucks. Uh, but uh, I, I've done the Amazon uh, pickup before and I kind of I think Amazon buying some of these things and trying out some experimental retail locations more for pickup than anything else but you know having some Amazon basics products in there having it be a place where you can have stuff delivered uh, maybe uh, you know go buy something and then just walk down and pick it up I just bought uh, something at the Apple store the other day and I bought it online and then just went to the Apple store and said I'm here to pick it up and they handed it to me and I, I walked out same yeah. day I I think there's some some potential there but it is funny that we've gotten to the point now where the only value left in Radio Shack is its uh, network of uh, you know brick and mortar locations. But so you're you're envisioning a Radio Shack where you could actually walk in and get something and not have to give your phone number. Well, they ask, but you can decline <laughs> to give, or you can give you know eight six seven five three zero nine, which just, is another <laughs> way to go. So, just not sure that's possible. Susie, do you have any requiem for the shack? Yeah, that was the only nerdy store, and I grew up in a little town in Wisconsin that got a lot of snow, and we had a Radio Shack, and it was, yeah, I used to go in there all the time and buy cables and stuff, so, yeah, and they always ask for my phone number, so I'm not going to miss that part, but, um, yeah, I don't know, I was in a cell phone store just last night, and it was crazy how busy it was, so even though part of me is like, why do we need more cell phone stores? They're everywhere, and you'd only get a cell phone once every two years. These places are packed. Like, we had to wait 20 minutes to get someone to give me a new SIM card. So I guess more cell phone stores would be good. But, um, yeah, it would be kind of cool to see Amazon do some sort of brick-and-mortar thing. Um, they probably don't need another business segment that doesn't make money, but... <laughs> Um, you know, maybe this will be the thing that makes them some money and they don't seem to mind not making money. So yeah, go for it. The synergy right there. Sure. Like we already they're have. already not making <laughs> yeah. money. So it's Come perfect. into the family. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Amazon definitely needs someplace to launch all those drones from that they're going to deliver your packages. So why not? <laughs> uh, you know, right before this, actually, I had to go buy some batteries. Uh, and so I went out and I left the Rite Aid where I bought the batteries and poured them out on the street in, in a little remembrance of Radio Shack. Um, and did not give anyone my zip code or um. phone number. <laughs> Yeah, no, we had Radio Shacks when I was growing up, but even at that point, I think the only thing I ever really used them for was buying the the cheap cables, like audio cables especially, because you would go into, you know, your Best Buy or whatever, you know, sort of your more upscale, I don't even know if that's a good comparison, and they would be like, oh, $20 for an audio, like, mini jack to RCA cable, and you'd laugh at them and then go down to Radio Shack and buy one for $5, but it seems like Monoprice, uh, you know, and other similar vendors kind of have that under lock now so the only reason you go in there is if you like need something right now uh and i feel like that doesn't happen as much most of us are you know with amazon prime and stuff like that you can get stuff in two days and if amazon takes over a bunch of those stores well maybe you'll be able to run in and just pick something up really quick so i think in some ways it makes sense for amazon although i i'm also kind of wary of their yet another market segment yeah. that amazon enters that is like a market segment that apple is in and then amazon <laughs> doesn't do it as well 
So yeah. I I'm, won't really miss the the shack, but uh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, I'm more enthusiastic about the delivery aspect of the stores than going in to try out the Echo. Yeah, although that would be pretty funny. You gotta admit, <laughs> we, we should say we we should say the the um for those too young to remember, one of the most popular early personal com- like home computers was the TRS-80, which was made by and sold by Radio Shack. And that was, for a brief time, their their thing. And I remember uh, a friend of mine had a TRS-80 color computer, and uh, one of my college classmates had a, a, a Tandy PC that ran an early version of Windows. And they, they, were, they were in the computer industry for that, a brief moment. And uh, although all of us who had Apple uh, twos called it the Trash Eighty. It was indeed a very successful, low-cost personal computer for a long time. But that was a long time ago now. Is there anything better than like early '80s trash talk about computers? Oh no, yeah, no trash talk. Quite literally, in the case of the <laughs> Trash Eighty. Well, John, we'll all pour some batteries yeah. out for the uh, for the shack. You'll be missed. Thank you. Sort of. Thank you for that. All right, we're we're halfway through this one. Uh, time for our sponsor. Halftime of Clockwise is brought to you by Loot Crate, a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than twenty dollars a month, you get six to eight items that includes licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one of a kind items, and more. You have until the nineteenth of any given month at nine p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. When the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. Everybody gets their crates, and then we move on to the next month. So go to lootcrate.com slash clockwise and enter code clockwise to save $3 on a new subscription. Now here's what is happening in the February box, the February crate. Um, break, you're going to like this, break out the dice, cards, controllers, saddle up and strategize. It's about games we love to play from tabletop to video, board games, card games, RPGs, and more. There's a crate that celebrates the boundless levels of adventure, creativity, and excitement that great gaming can bring. There's going to be uh, an exclusive edition of a popular tabletop title, a vinyl collectible figure, a best-selling title, much beloved by gamer geeks worldwide, and a lot more. That's the February crate. So go to lootcrate.com slash clockwise and enter code clockwise to save $3 on any new subscription. And thanks to Loot Crate for sponsoring Clockwise. All right, moving on. It's my turn. So... I wrote a piece on six colors yesterday about uh, the math that Apple has to be doing regarding just the phenomenal size of the iPhone market. It just brings in so much money to Apple. It dominates Apple's balance sheet. Um, And my point was sort of like, it's not wrong for Apple to focus uh, a little bit on on the thing that it's wildly successful at the expense of some of its other products. But I do think it's a fact that that's happening. So that got me to thinking, what is Apple's worst product that it's selling right now? And do you have any hope that it might get better in the future? And let's start with Susie. Oh, this is a tough one. I wavered between a couple of different apps, and I decided to go with iPhoto, although it seems a little unfair because it's kind of on its way out. Um, the Photos app is coming soon. I really hope it can launch without beachballing everything because, I mean, I have a pretty good Mac. I have a Haswell MacBook Air, and you launch iPhoto, and you just can't do anything for like a minute. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I try not to keep too many photos in there. I don't have like my huge you know collection of every digital photo I've ever taken in there. It still just doesn't work very often. Um, the yeah, so I really hope photos can just just work a little better um, and um, deal with you know the massive amounts of photos that I'm taking every day with my iPhone and all the videos. 
it seems like the photo features in Google+, Plus, which, you know, it's not really a social network I spend a lot of time with, but it does a really good job at handling a lot of photos, at finding the best photos that you've taken, yeah. you know, from a certain day or session. I like the thing it does where it makes little GIFs for you automatically. So if photos could work a little more like Google Plus Photos, I'm shocked to be saying this, but that would make me really happy. Uh, I'm going to steal Jason's, which is probably the Apple TV. Go ahead. Uh, which is... Uh, <laughs> I got backups, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. There's plenty of other... I mean, like, worst product. I mean, I mean, they make a lot of great products, but it doesn't mean they hit always hit it out of the park. Uh, the Apple TV, you know, especially uh, in comparison with some of the other offerings from other companies like Roku and actually Amazon, who I just made fun of in the previous segment. But this is actually one place where I think they're actually doing a better job than Apple. Um, I have a Fire TV and an Apple TV, and I found myself turning more and more to the Fire TV in recent, the last couple months, in part because it has support for some stuff that I like. For example, Plex, the home media software, I can stream stuff from my Mac Mini directly to my Fire TV, which is great because it means not having to navigate a computer with a clunky interface. Um, but more to the point, my Apple TV has just become incredibly unreliable. It crashes a lot. It locks up on certain apps. It restarts itself in the middle of videos. Um, and this is a second-gen model, so it's a little bit on the old side, but it's not that old. Uh, so I'm kind of sitting around thinking that, you know, Apple is maybe holding off because they've got something planned that's sort of a larger re, you know, rethinking overhaul of this product. But right now I'm, I've been moving more and more to the, the Fire TV and with a lot of the support from apps, you can now do the sort of AirPlay like thing with the Fire TV too, uh, using the casting features that Google has, has developed for the Chromecast. So I would love to see uh, Apple take another pass at the Apple TV and really turn it into something compelling. But right now it is kind of pales in comparison with the competitive offerings. Well, I wanted to say Apple TV too. Well, we'll go back in time. I, so guess. I won't say it. <laughs> but I, uh, I have another answer anyway. And that is a, a, the introductory low-end model of almost every thing in their lineup. <laughs> and I wrote a piece about this for Macworld not that long ago, but from the eight, the measly eight gigabytes, yes, they actually sell an eight gigabyte phone um, to the very weak processor in the entry level iMac to the same kind of lousy processor in the entry level Mac mini. They're the very bottom end of most, most of their lineup is just is and not the kind of thing that you would recommend anybody buy. And that to me seems unapple like it's it always seemed like you could, you know, when you wanted to introduce someone to the Apple world, you could recommend just going out and getting the cheapest Mac mini and giving it a try. Now they really need to, if they want to have a good user experience, they actually need to move up into the somewhat higher range. And then, and usually the gap between the bottom item and the next one up is huge and then the gap between that that next item and the one above that is much smaller so it, to me it just seems like they're playing a little bit of a game there in order to try to get you to spend that extra few hundred dollars to go up the the scale and i just that kind of game to me doesn't seem like the kind of thing that apple should be doing and and if it's the company that wants to make the best products that it knows how to make 
you guys have have taken so many great answers that I I, I I'm I'm with you on all of those, Susie. You just described the perfect toaster fridge, which is well for me for me one of the best photo management solutions out there is embedded in a social network. What? What? So weird. what whatever. And the Apple TV is definitely really long in the tooth. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with something that's slightly different from John's answer, but not that far off, which is um, the iPad Mini original which is essentially an ipad 2 it's got mm. it's got the old a5 processor in it it's available only in a 16 gigabyte configuration it's still being sold apparently they're still making them or do they just have a big pile of them somewhere that they're trying to <laughs> unload i appreciate that it makes them uh be able to offer an ipad from 249 but uh it's not good enough they, that, that's just it's not good enough to still be in the product line it's, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb compared to the mini 2 mini 3 air and air 2 that are also being sold so stop it apple just stop it stop it enough is enough all right they listen they listen to this podcast (laughs) they they totally do (laughs) it's up next it's like an audio dartboard for them uh what's your topic so um google i guess has an app that um bloomberg reported that google was testing an app for its employees to summon cars probably self-driving cars And then Uber also announced that they were partnering with Carnegie Mellon to work on technology for self-driving cars. So I guess one way or another, Google kind of walked it back and said, oh, no, that's just a carpool app for our employees and cars are driven by humans and don't worry about it. But, you know. (laughs) Look away. Nothing to see here. This is not the app you're looking for. (laughs) We don't know what's going on over there. So, but anyway, it looks like these, both of these places are taking (laughs) steps towards fleets of self-driving cars whisking you around anywhere you need to go. Is the world ready for this? Are you going to be willing to drive in a self-driving car? Is Uber, its biggest uh, growth constraint right now is getting enough people to drive for it. Are they going to alienate their current, you know, driver base over, you know, like just, oh, you're going to replace me in a few years? Like, screw you. I'm going to go drive for a Lyft or something. What do you guys think? First of all, can we get these two crazy kids a room or something? I feel like this is the beginning of a great rom-com. Google and Uber, their eyes meet across a crowded room. Exactly. Um, You know, it's weird. I I think everybody is suddenly talking about self-driving cars, even though this stuff has been in development for a long time. And people keep saying, oh, it's only a couple years away, a couple years away. I got to feel like this is one of those technologies that is a little bit further away than most people think it is. Um, especially because if you look at the stuff that Google's done and the stuff that CMU even has done, a lot of it is not stuff that necessarily will work on just your every, everyday average roads. You know, a lot of those courses are very specifically mapped and they have a lot of data about them. And it's possible Google's been collecting that data as it drives its cars around and does stuff for maps. But at the same time, uh, I'm not convinced that it's fully fleshed out enough to let those cars just drop them down in the middle of a city and have, you know, have them take you wherever you want to go. Uh, as somebody who doesn't like taking taxi cabs in general, I feel like getting into a car driven by a robot is actually lower on my list of things that I want to do. So I am not as bullish as I think a lot of people are. Also, you know, I think there are good points about putting out the putting the human drivers out of work. Uh, and it seems like maybe Uber is shooting themselves in the foot with that. Google doesn't really care. It doesn't have a base on that to work from. And uh, it would not surprise me at all if they were investing in some sort of ride sharing solution, because that seems like a great way to get captive eyeballs on ads. You stick someone in the back of a car and you blare ads at them clockwork orange style. I don't see what could go wrong. 
Well, I live in Tacoma, Washington, and we only got Uber last year. So you have two cars, right? If if it's if if uh, driverless cars are two years away, uh, then they're probably at least ten years away for me. So uh, I'm not really. I just I don't give this much thought because I don't feel like it's going to be anywhere close to coming soon. Uh, the, the only thing that I can think of is that uh, the, the one benefit, even if you are getting ads blared at you while you sit in the backseat of the driverless car, you don't have to make that uncomfortable small talk with the with the driver, which I always just drives me Have you ever made crazy. uncomfortable small talk with a robot, John? It's worse. <laughs> Have I have I ever not made uncomfortable small talk with any, anybody? Really, is more to the point. So I haven't given it much thought because I just don't I don't see it happening for me anytime in the near future. I I think this is a bizarre story, and I'm glad that Susie uh, you brought it up. It, it is a little bit like saying um, we we employ a lot of horses, but we're really working hard on this car thing. So uh, we love our horses; they're great, but we're going to replace them. So it, it, it's Uber to me. Um, you know, service is sort of what Uber is all about, it strikes me, and that if all ca- uh, cars, if all cabs and, and the like can drive themselves, then you've got kind of an undifferentiated market. And I don't think the Uber, unless Uber is going to recede into the background and just become a, you know, a scheduling backend tool, maybe that's their business model is uh, – to like a true tech company fade into the background and not deal with humans anymore. <laughs> but uh, it seems like a weird thing. I do think that dri- that driverless cars are coming and that uh, cabs might actually be a great, great place for them because on see- streets of a specific city in a specific range um, to, to have them kind of go around uh, makes maybe more sense than having them be just floating around on the highway and stuff like that. I don't know. It, it seems weird. It is going to happen. I feel bad for the drivers because the drivers are probably going to either be out of work or or they're going to have to be like tiered. Like I want a real driver. I want they, the real drivers are awesome, but it doesn't seem like Uber's going that way. Um, I I think though what we should really take away from this is that um, this is an opportunity for Uber to do more weird things and uh, alienate more people. And uh, we needed them to have some room to grow. So thanks, Uber, for uh, doing something else that, that leads you down another weird path. Wait until they start digging up dirt on their robot drivers. Oh, man. <laughs> we looked at the source code. We put in a back door. All of that is coming. I want my cars to have back doors. I prefer my cars to have back doors. That way I can get in and out. <laughs> it's an innovation. Susie, have we satisfied you about Uber? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right. I like to have the topic person, you know, get a chance to <laughs> say, no, you guys have completely ruined it. <laughs> Stick it's a terrible. Fork in it. No, that sounds good. I'm All with right. you. Uh, well, do we have time, Jason, for our last bonus topic? Since we've exhausted our four technology-related topics. <gasps> what do I look like, a timekeeper? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're not our brutal overlord? I thought that was how this worked. <laughs> that, that happens in the edit. My mistake. <laughs> So uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that I'm buried under six feet of snow. Uh, what is your favorite kind of weather? Hint, mine is anything but six feet of snow. John? I will take the snow this year because we here have uh, had record warm temperature and uh, it's been kind of gross. <laughs> and I am a kind of I grew up in the in New England and I like a snowy winter. And for some reason, I did move to the Pacific Northwest, but we 
usually get at least some snow and we usually get lots up in the mountains. And this year has been terrible. I've not even been skiing this year. So I know it's a problem for you guys. But if you guys could share some of the snow, then maybe you wouldn't have as big a problem. Look at this guy. No skiing this season. <laughs> I'll send some over to you pronto. Well, you were such a humanitarian, John. Um, that the unsel- unselfish desire. If I were if I were to to approach this like uh, like you, I would say I would like winters with rain in them because we haven't had any of those lately, <laughs> and we're all gonna like burn to death in the summertime because we won't have any water. Um, that said, my my favorite weather. I mean, come on, eighty degrees, light breeze, preferably on a beach in Hawaii, but I'll take it anywhere. Eighty degrees, light breeze. Yeah, I'm also going to echo your call for rain. Um, I grew up in a snowy place, and uh, I haven't gone snowboarding here in like two years because I have a small child and because it hasn't been snowing. It just doesn't seem like worth the hassle to get up there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I love beach day. I would love to be lying out in the sun and soaking all up all the rays, but I'm just going to ask for rain because we need it so bad. And if it snows up in the mountains, we can all go skiing. Yeah, so that's good rain too. in the city means snow in the mountains, so mm. we get it all. Maybe we can work out some sort of exchange deal here because I have too much snow. Yeah, seems, seems like it. Seems Dan, seems seller's market Dan, put some snow in a box, ship it to John. <laughs> maybe, maybe that could be next month's loot crate. Just a box of snow. <laughs> <laughs> it just melts immediately oh, in front of your eyes. Gonna, you're going to regret everything. Yeah, make a snowball out of it. <laughs> well, I think that wraps up all the time we have today, so it only remains for me to thank uh, our first guest, John Moltz. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And I would like to thank Susie Oaks for coming back. Uh, pleasure as always. Yes, thank you so much. And Dan, that brings us to the end of the show. So Indeed, uh, it's it been a pleasure as always. It's been great to be here, Jason. And uh, to everybody out there, we remind you again in the least threatening way possible to watch what you say. And keep watching the class. It's just a Bye. good idea. That's one to grow on. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>